0: G'day welcome to the Highly Adequate Podcast. My name is Desi, and I'm a content developer and podcast host. In this series, we talk to people who are in the industry to get an insight to how they got to where they are today. And if you're interested in learning more, feel free to jump on my Discord server. You can grab an invite from my website, highlyadequate.com. But this morning, I'm joined by, or evening, for Sai, who is my co-host for the Forensic Focus Podcast, who kindly agreed to come on and share his story with you. Welcome, Si.
1: We are we are completely at opposite ends of the day. You're six, uh, looking at the clock behind you, is it six something in the morning?
0: Yeah, it's uh, five past six at the moment, so. Yeah, so we're five past nine here, so. I mean, that's how standard, right? Like, it's either I'm up at six interviewing with you or. Yeah, it's,
1: it's one of us, yeah, it's one of the other way around. It's I'm up early. I, I'm going to say, I think the, the 11 o'clock slot for me works quite well. Because I think that's about sort of, sort of six or seven PM for you.
0: Yeah, eleven PM plus nine, so eight eight PM. Yeah, so that that's a pretty good slot.
1: Yeah. But every every American we ever talk to messes the whole thing up. So
0: <laughs> it's usually the case of one of us has a tea and one of us has some kind of alcoholic beverage. Yeah, just because of the hours. But yeah, the first question I always ask my guest mate is, "What's a normal day like for you?" And I know you're quite unique because you work for yourself. So a normal day could be quite
1: varied. Normal days can be really, really varied. So at the moment, I'm working just the three jobs at the moment. My primary role and what I consider to be my job function now when I I have a conversation about it is that I am a digital forensic analyst. I am an expert witness and I, I give evidence in criminal cases in court. So the day aspects of that involve answering a shit ton of emails the same as everybody else and fielding stupid questions and marginally less stupid questions from solicitors and barristers and, you know, the people who I am working for in the the legal system. And then the rest of it is actually carrying out forensic analysis of stuff and stuff can be anything from mobile phones to cctv digital video recorders dvrs to computers to set top boxes all sorts of really weird and wonderful sort of devices as long as it has a digital component to it it's fair game for a digital forensic analyst beyond that i I started my career a very long time ago as a unix systems administrator and then sort of moved into linux as unix died a death in the traditional sense but then I moved into security and I've been a security consultant what was what, called a class consultant so CESG being the government security wing in the UK one of the government security wings in the UK had a listed advisor scheme so CESG listed advisor scheme so class CLAS consultant so I was working on government projects doing nation security risk management and things like that and occasionally I go back and do that still for different organizations in, in terms of, sort of risk management and, and things like that. Cause the principles still stand. The technology moves on slightly. So you learn something a bit different and a bit new, but fundamentally the, the risk management is risk management. Contrary to what anybody might try and sell you, the principles haven't changed since Julius Caesar tried risk management back in the second century AD or whatever it was. So, you know, it's, 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 it's much of a muchness. Um, and the third thing I do, is I teach. Well, at the moment, I'm a visiting fellow at the University of Southampton. For our listeners that might not understand what visiting fellow means, could you give a brief explanation of what that is? So the visiting fellow part is actually, it's an honorary position awarded by a university because they think you're worth talking to. But effectively what it does is it puts you in the position to be able to be brought into research projects or to teaching or to, to things like that. So the title itself is... I'm not gonna say meaningless, but it has no value. But it, then it, it puts you in the position whereby. So I'm I'm working with Sarah uh, Sarah Morris on a couple of research projects at the moment, which do have some funding associated with them. So I I can I, I do get paid for uh, for that, and we're developing some course material to be rolled out in the next uh, the next year or so.
0: Bit of a cross plug. Anyone that's interested, Si and I actually interviewed Sarah Morris, spoke about around some of that the course material so definitely go check that out because it seems like an awesome course like very practical
1: it's very practical and and this actually this stems from we were both taught by a pair of gentlemen called uh tony sams and brian jenkinson who have i got the book on my shelf at the moment i i have the book i just don't know where it's on my shelf who wrote one of the sort of very first books on digital forensics in the uk and very much developed the field here in the UK. Tony was a professor of, of forensic computing. He he had a very strong background in telecoms. Uh he was in the Royal Signals and he he had a, a you know a, a wealth of knowledge that is I mean genuinely. He was described in the newspaper once as a man the si- with a brain the size of a planet while he was giving evidence in court on something that was you know incredibly high profile. And it was true, he was an absolute genius. And uh, Brian brought a very very practical uh, aspect to it he had worked his way up from the very bottom ranks of Cambridge Cambridgeshire Police um, and had done everything from driving squad cars to motorcycles to sorts of stuff and for for people of a certain generation the fact that you knew how to turn a computer on meant that you ended up running the forensic departments to start with and in fact he was he was very senior in the fraud squad uh, in Cambridge and and then into digital forensics those practical applications were very much communicated in the course that we both did we was at the cranfield university at the royal military college of science as it was called then rcms shrivenham which is you know it's five minutes down the road from where i live so we both did the same master's degree and she went on to do a doctorate and and various things like that and i just didn't finish the degree (laughs) the fundamental sort of ethos and training is is that actually this is a practical field yes it's a science yes we have scientific methodologies but actually if you're not doing it you can know all you like lovely saying which is is that in theory theory and practice are the same in practice they aren't it is absolutely true when when the rubber meets the road things are not quite the way that they should be or that you have been taught that they are and to actually have a lesson from somebody who has experienced it and has f- faced those problems and has had that you know real world standing up in court and giving evidence kind of thing is actually really important so we try very hard to bring that to uh, to a student and we get people who are both you know new to the field and also some some more seasoned examiners who are looking to improve their technical skills so it's 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 a very interesting mix in in these courses. So um so yeah, we're really excited about it, uh, and we are certainly hoping to um to corner the market in slightly cheesy but real world based scenarios. So I guess
0: pivoting off your comment there about not finishing a master's degree, what was your education like? Like, did you go to and do a bachelor's degree first, and then finish that? Get into the workforce and then do masters. And
1: so, to give hope to all of those people who are currently not doing very well, I left school with a reasonable set of A levels. So the the university entry exams in the UK for for anybody who's not familiar with A levels. I got two Bs and a C, which. Didn't get me into my first choice of university because they wanted straight A's and that just didn't happen. I was rather sick of school at that point in time. So my attention span had had somewhat slipped um, and there were more interesting things to do that involved drinking, smoking. And I ended up, I went to the University of Edinburgh and I actually read Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence for a while. Now it turns out that I can't count, which is a particularly challenging skill to take to maths exams when you still have to go in and sit down and write them with a pen and paper. I'm dyslexic, and that wasn't diagnosed, actually, until I started my master's degree. I, I do reasonably well in English, because words have sense in them. There, there's sort of built-in error checking to a word. You, you you know, if you get the letters transposed, okay, it might cause some upset, but generally speaking, the word still makes a lot of sense. You transpose two digits in a telephone number, and you just end up phoning the wrong person. There's no way of checking the, the accuracy of it. And, and in the maths exam, that that was exactly what I found, is that I couldn't accurately get to answers and that you know that caused me a lot of well a lot of failure it didn't cause me as as much stress as it probably should have because basically i just didn't give a shit anymore i I, maths and i didn't agree and therefore it was a it was just a parting of the ways but rather interestingly that gave me a a fantastic opportunity at edinburgh because they didn't throw me out per se they just went you can't carry on doing computer science because you can't count, and therefore that's one of the sort of prerequisites for it. But you know, we like the money that you're giving us. <laughs> oh, what what a uh,
0: what a kind and charitable business university! <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, we'd like to offer you this opportunity to do what we refer to as a general science degree. Okay, so, and I was like, okay, that sounds slightly interesting. What's that? Because I didn't want to go and get a real job or anything. They went, well, basically, you choose a bunch of modules, and then, as long as you pass more, we'll give you something. I was like, okay, that sounds sounds like a laugh, and although it's a general what's, what's referred to as a general science degree, you could choose modules from elsewhere in the in the university. so I did oh, it's a great list. I did industrial management, which I failed, but only because it was so boring, I didn't turn up to the exam, which is why I don't actually have a first degree, but I did uh, contract criminal and company law. And I passed all of those modules, which was great. Actually, I, I did particularly well in some of them. I did electronics, I did oceanography, geomorphology. But it was a it was a good set of things that that gave me a much broader view of the world. Came out with uh, a diploma of higher education, which is a consolation prize from a university, but it's it was there. And then I went to work, and I. I I just said I mean I went and I worked as a systems administrator because I had worked through university I was I was working at an ISP so an internet service provider for for anybody who doesn't know that acronym in Edinburgh it was the first uh, ISP in Scotland we were providing dial-up and ISDN telephone services to or internet services to sort of homes and businesses in Scotland that was my introduction to it and I was a I was a Linux systems administrator there and then I moved to Uh, A company called CFX, which is now Ansys, which, you know, if you look up Ansys, uh, they do computational fluid dynamics. So I was managing some quite chunky multiprocessor, large memory machines for people to do simulations of boats, cars, stuff. But I learned so much again because I got, because it was a software development house and they did cross-platform development for Unix machines. I had Solaris, AIX, ERIX, uh, ux and the Linux boxes, uh, Red Hat and SUSE at the time. So I, I learnt all of the sort of Unix platforms uh, that were extant at the time, because that's what we were developing software for, and multiprocessor and distributed computing and large memory model stuff. That gave me a fantastic grounding in the way that the networks work because uh, you know plugging and, and no offense to windows users but it's all too easy for windows users they they plug something in it works there's no con- there's no configuration of you know you're not editing hand editing configuration files to to figure out why your you know network mapping is not right and in a lot of ways that's a really good thing but in the in terms of you know baptism of fire is definitely a good way to learn about how networks work and how authentication works and all of the all of the really good um and exciting backdrop to computing through an interesting comment made during an all hands meeting at the time of redundancies I was made redundant my boss had told me that you know there was no way I would be redundant because I was the only unix systems administrator for a company that developed unix systems and then I said something negative about the way the redundancy process was being run to the managing director and all of a sudden my redundancy was approved so uh that was a that was an interesting quick experience and i took i'd always wanted to get into security again you know i, I this one is on my shelf i've got the cuckoo's egg behind me and um, cliff stall and i'd read that when i was about 14 and I knew that I wanted to be a forensic analyst. And from that day on, it was that was what, the only thing I wanted to do. I wanted to work in computing, and that was the only thing I wanted to do. I sort of said this when I was at school to my careers master. And he told me that in order to do that, I needed to become an accountant. <laughs> because his logic at the time was accountant, audit, forensics, that's the way to do it. And I went and I did... I did you know, we had the, the work experience opportunities when I was at school. And I went and did a, a week with an accountancy firm. And I decided I would rather take my own eyes out with a spoon than than do anything to do with accountancy. And given that I can't count, that was probably a really, really good choice up front. When I was made redundant, I got a, I got a pretty chunky payout, actually. I mean, I got over a year's salary in a lump sum, tax-free, you know. So I went and I spent it. And I I sort of went into security more to start with. And I went off and I got, uh, I was an ISO, well, what's now ISO 27001 uh, was ISO 7799 back in the day, or BS 7799, so British Standard 7799 for information security. I, I was certified as a lead auditor for that. I paid to do the course on that. I paid to do my uh, CISSP, CISP, or you call it CISP, don't you? I, I think it's, there's about four different ways of saying this acronym. So I've done. I, I did that early on, and then I sort of segued into doing security work, and I did security work for a long time. Well, a long time. Yeah, I am. I'm reasonably old. I did security work for for several years, and again, you know, this is this is with 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 hindsight. Um, I had a chip on my shoulder about the fact that I didn't have a degree. That was a problem for me. I felt that. You know, my, my, my parents were the first generation to go to university. The expectation was always that I would go to university and get a degree. My sister certainly succeeded. And, and therefore, you know, the fact that I hadn't was, was a bit of a, a an issue for me. But I was damned if I was going to go back and do an undergraduate degree with, you know, by that time sort of like six or seven years worth of, of work experience, literally hands-on computing. I was like, there's no way I'm going to go do that. So I looked at two degrees. One is at, one was at the Royal University of London, Royal Holloway. And they have an excellent, absolutely excellent information security master's degree. And I went and looked at that and interviewed for it. And I was, I was offered a place on it. But when I looked at the, the not prospectus, menu, no. As I went through it, it was like, well, I've done that. I've done that. I've configured that. I know about this. I'm about to spend £15,000. So what's that? Mm, £30,000 australian dollars or something i can't remember what the exchange rate is but a huge amount of money yeah um on on this to relearn something i already know how to do what 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 the hell's the point um and then i looked at the forensic course that was being run at cranfield and apart from it being five minutes down the road which certainly saved on the commuting costs although they did they, they used to wind me up mercilessly because i was the only person that kept turning up late Everybody else had come from, like, Manchester. But they're staying in a hotel, so all they have to do is get out of bed, eat breakfast that somebody else has cooked for them, and then go to, to study. I had to get up, feed the kids, get them to school, get them dressed, get them to school, and then get to study. So, you know, I had more more things I had to do. But it, it, it was there, and I looked at the rubric, and it was like, I have no idea what 90% of this even means, let alone, you know, know how to do it. So if I'm going to spend 15 grand, that's where I'm spending it. So I did, and I started I started that, and I got on onto that with Tony and Brian, and I started learning the, the fundamentals of forensics. And then things took an interesting twist, which was I had seven, eight years, nine years' worth of experience in the real world of IT, and we started talking about things like networks and the way that computers worked and I was not in a bad way but I was adding to the lectures I was I was a precocious little shit I guess in some ways um, yeah you were you were the annoying mature age student that sits at the back and it's just like actual. yeah yeah exactly I was doing that and sooner or later they either got fed up or decided to take advantage of it and said right okay you come and teach on some of these things come and assist come and come and do it so I started doing that and I ended up, for, for various reasons, the course moved from Cranfield to De Montfort in Leicester, and I, I went there. And I ended up teaching some of the modules that I needed to sit in order to complete my degree. Which of course means that I can't finish my degree. I can't get a master's because I can't mark my own homework. I can't do those modules. So I, I, I effectively I dropped it. So I, I still didn't done and finish my masters yet. You've beaten the system. That's like what I'm. What I'm hearing is you didn't.
0: You haven't done any degree, and now you're a lecturer. And which is like people who get into academics. That's their goal is to like be a lecturer and, and research and that. And you've just done that without completing anything.
1: I was. I was working at Warwick University uh, previously. And again, we spoke with one of my former students uh, a few weeks ago, Gav. Technically, I was an assistant professor. I think it's assistant. So it's either assistant or associate it has an a in front of it but anyway I, you know I have professor in my title which is is way 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 higher than it should be <laughs> given my academic background I do actually now have a degree um during covid for various you know reasons we were all stuck at home um I did a distance learning degree in photography I have a I have a photography degree now because why not and and again it was it's it's a little bit of that attitude of there are things I know how to do, and I'm not going to pay somebody money to teach me how to do that. But my knowledge of photographic history is pretty iffy, or at least it was pretty iffy. It's much better now. Therefore, I might as well pay to learn from someone who really does know more than me. So that was a, a really, really, really well spent and I really enjoyed it. That's the the thing. And then having started doing the forensics, I've got a call one day, somebody knew that I was doing it and recommended me to someone else. And I did a case. And I actually did very well in it. So I, I, again, you know, something you know, but your listeners may not, is that I I predominantly do defence work as a forensic analyst. So prosecution will build a case and then they will bring it to court and everybody is entitled to a defence and I will provide that defence. Now, nine times out of ten, I agree with the prosecution and the person is guilty. One time out of ten, actually, they are either overstretching their Remit and making claims that they actually have no evidence for, or they're just straight up wrong and it's really nice to be able to stop someone who's innocent from going to prison. That's kind of a nice nice aspect of, of of my work. but in this first case, the guy had already actually pled guilty, but they were trying to charge him with criminality that accounted for something like three and a half million to five million pounds worth of damage effectively by the time I'd finished with it and figured out exactly how much they could prove. And what it was more likely, it came down to, I think it was £55,000. So that was deemed to be successful because it meant a huge difference between the the duration of sentence at the end of the day. That sort of started me getting more cases and people kept sending me things and I kind of haven't stopped since. So, you know, that's that's how I got into it. And, And at a point I sort of said, right, okay, enough. Ironically, although I'm doing a security role at the moment. I actually said enough with the security work I will make a living from being a forensic analyst and I I have done the the fact I take on security jobs actually it's a bit of an accident because I ended up doing an instant response for the company that I'm doing the security work for and they sort of went oh you seem to know something about security do you want to come and help us? <laughs> so I'm like, yeah all right why not it, it's a gig isn't it and, and in a lot of ways it's quite nice because it's easy it doesn't involve messing around with somebody's life and you know for for a few weeks to do something a bit different is is you know it's good yeah nice to break it off yeah exactly you know you there's a man who works several jobs himself you know you know what it's like you know just the the ability to to think about something a bit different and do it a bit different is is nice occasionally yeah it's that high performing procrastination i think where you can like
0: I don't, I don't want to do this. And instead of going to watch Netflix, I just like move to a different job and start that.
1: Yeah. 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 That's the one. It was like, yeah, I, I can't remember what it was, it was doing the other day. It was like, I was trying to figure out, it was like, I should be writing this report, but no, I'm going to figure out how on earth I, uh, I code this instead. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no,
0: anyway. So you mentioned earlier kind of that chip on your shoulder coming out of school and having the, kind of family background with the degree and stuff like knowing where you are now if you could go back and talk to your pre-cyber self at that age would there be any advice that you'd give yourself that would change where you went like obviously you you've been fortunate enough to wind your way through and get to a point where you now make a living as what you figured out you wanted to do but
1: would there be any anything that you would offer yourself it's a really good question and I've I've wondered about this one actually quite a lot because it's it's sort of the thing that comes up in conversation. So you you do you do consider it? I think not. I think I would give myself a lot of advice about plenty of other things I've fucked up in my life. Yeah, I've made I've made some horrendous mistakes and and things that I would wish I hadn't done and choices I wish I'd made and or I hadn't made or I've made better. More to the point but actually I, but the reason I am who I am is because of that sum of the experiences that I've had and I wouldn't have had them if I'd followed a sensible path or a a better defined path what I do see now is I mean I you know I have kids of my own I wish that the concept of an apprenticeship degree apprenticeship had existed when I was doing it because that's what my son is doing. And he he's really doing very well from it. He's not, he didn't want to go to university, but he wanted the level of qualification and needs indeed in his industry, he needs the level of uh, qualification um, that is afforded by, by going to university. I think I would have liked that opportunity to do of real world and Academic tied together in a way that would would have would have worked. I think it would have worked for me as well as it works for him. Although he hates going into London to go to university, so
0: I was recently in London and got to visit you. It would be a bit of a trek if you were doing that.
1: He does it. He does it once a week, every week, every week for ten weeks each term for the last six years. So or five years. This is his final year. So less sympathy
0: that it's once a week. I, like when I started uni, I was driving like. An hour and a half to get to Uni every single day. It was, it was bad. That is bad. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Newcastle Uni for being in the middle of a swamp and not
1: in Newcastle. <laughs> um, actually, I was going to say he's he's not. He goes to university not far from where you were. He goes to, goes to Southbank, which is near just along from where you were at London Bridge and. Um... Uh, Barrow market and stuff so yeah it's it's a I, I like it then down that way but he's i am a londoner he he is uh, a little more rural because we've lived out here for for 20 plus years so
0: um, as another cross plug talking about career advisors i believe that you and i also did an episode on forensic focus where we talked about career advisors
1: and education um, yeah well we've done we've done a couple of conversations about education actually uh the I mean the most recent one was with Gav and Salim which was was really good fun I really enjoyed that I, I mean astonishing that we've managed to pull two people who actually work for the same company and who knew each other
0: and we didn't even know that before we kind of invited them both on well like like you you guys both and they both work in the same team as well which was surprising and for the listeners look out that I've got Salim coming on the podcast probably the one following your your one. yeah, oh, okay, cool. Um, so that'll be good as well. But I'll post all the links for the forensic focus ones in the notes for those that want to go and listen to Sinai rant for an hour or the much more eloquent uh, interview that we did with Sarah Morris has probably more interesting
1: value in that one than some of our other rants. But We've got another one coming up. If you want a good rant, we, we've got one planned that I think will be truly rant worthy. Yeah, I'm going to say the only other thing I would say is buy Bitcoin. <laughs> invest in apple I i mean like it's all
0: it's go have the future knowledge of what sports teams are going to win and bet on them so back to the future right
1: but no the actual the actual path has been interesting and varied and valuable and therefore i think is probably worth worth continuing well worth having pursued
0: i asked this question Previously, And I've started to reword it, but it's normally what's your favorite role to do. But I think with people who've had such a varied career, I prefer asking, and you've already told a story about that has felt good about getting someone's amount of money down from from 3 million. But anything else that sticks in your mind that was either a career milestone or just a, a really highlight case for you through your career? Even, it could even just be like anything in, in life that sticks out that like your path led you to that and it's a, a good
1: memory. Or- the, the the one the one that immediately springs to mind is really funny, actually, because, you know, you, were, you, you came to visit and we went to Bletchley Park. And as we were walking around, there was an exhibit that showed some stuff to do with the Encro phones and the Encro chat network. And I remember hearing about this in the first place, and I, I went to my to the legal teams that I use, and I went, I really want one of these chat cases. I think it sounds fascinating. I think it sounds amazing. I've I've gotten, I, I've had, I've had, I had one. I had, uh, and I've had again. I had success. I got the, the guy was was released at the end because of insufficient evidence so yeah it's it's kind of weird to see something that you're kind of actively doing and i have i have three cases on my desk at the moment of encrophone stuff and seeing it in the museum is is a bit weird but but you know a career a career defining moment definitely i think for me i mean there's, there's all sorts of things that are really nice but actually fundamentally the best thing that we can do as human beings is to Pass on knowledge, pass on skills, pass on passion for an industry, pass on a set of ethics that we believe in. And to see some of my students who have graduated with, you know, first class honours, upper two, second class honours, degrees, going on into industry and taking with them some skills, some passion um, and some ethics, I think is is really wonderful i'm in touch with 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 many still who you know pop up and say hi and ask for references and but are very nice about it and it's it's so good to see them doing so well i mean gav you know he, he was one of my students and to be able to have him come back and be able to eloquently talk about his experiences and and you know inspire other people to join the industry and as a mature student you know to 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 say, look, you know, I've had enough of doing whatever it is that I do, in his case, throwing himself out of aeroplanes and being shot at. You know, I want to go and do something else, to to, to take that step and know that it's possible to, to do it, I think is, is is fantastic. So I think that I think I think, you know, watching er, everything about teaching is one well, no, everything apart from marking about teaching is wonderful. Marking's a pain in the ass. But the being able to talk to people, being watching them get it you know, if, especially if they've been struggling, all of a sudden it dawns. You see that that realization across their face that they do actually understand what you're talking about, and it does make sense. is is a wonderful thing to see. So I think that I think that's the, the the real highlight for me, and and one I hope to continue going forward with is 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 a is a wonderfully repeatable highlight because each year you get new fresh faces, and you get to you know set them challenges that push them, some of them perhaps a little further than they'd like to be pushed, but you know. You, you get to do that and it's a real privilege to be in that position to do it and um yeah really exciting opportunity to to see and the other i'm going to say the other thing about students is that i invariably learn probably as much back from them in any given year as i as, as as i impart to them certainly about the modern world compared to yeah okay i'm an old fogey fine um but it is it, it is true that you know especially in forensics, you know, we we talk about looking at the way that people use computers and the way that I use a computer and the way that you use a computer is different already versus the way that a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old or a 15-year-old or an 18-year-old is using it. I mean, my kids kids have Snapchat on their phone, contrary to my protestations because I hate it. But when they send a snap, they don't send the picture. They send a blank, they, they cover the camera, they take a black screenshot and then type on top of it, which means that no data is communicated, the message is ephemeral, it's not saved into the chat logs, and that's the way that it's being used. And unless you know that, you have no hope of getting any evidence out of this whatsoever. And it's stuff like that that, you know, without, without actually engaging with the next generation, you'll never figure out. So it's yeah it, it is it is fascinating and exciting um to do that.
0: So what about passion projects? Cyber or otherwise? I know you're a keen photographer. I don't think I knew that you had a degree in photography, but I knew you were like had like an old camera and you you enjoyed going to take photos.
1: Yeah, so so photography is um and it it's an interesting one. I mean I, I I've always been an in, interested in photography and um I I had a camera for a long time. But actually it was, I heard somebody talking about using it as a mindfulness practice, effectively. And some of the things we deal with in this job is not as nice as it should be. You know, we we all know that about digital forensics. There has to be a decision. It's either you drink a bottle of rum every night, and I'm not, I'm on just the one glass. Or you do something for your mental health. And actually I, I kind of started taking photography more seriously for my mental health and got into it. And then I kind of discovered that I'm actually reasonably good at it, or at least I'm reasonably good at picking a decent photo out of the 500 I've taken and then pretending it's the best one, you know, it's the only one I took. I I sort of started to develop it more and no pun intended in the the developing part, but I... For the, the young people listening,
0: you used to have to develop photos, they weren't just digital.
1: I have a collection of old cameras. I am—I mean, really old. The oldest one I have is shade over 110 years, I think, uh, yeah. which is a, a Kodak pocket camera, uh, World War World War One era, era camera. That's that's the oldest one I own, and then everything from then up to, to sort of the, the latter generations of film cameras before uh, before we switched to digital. And I've I've shot most of them, if not all of them with at least one roll of film and then and i do develop myself and you know the, not taking the pun too far but if it's black i i can do black and white film quite successfully so i do i do develop my own black and white film and and less less recently i've gone i've gone back more to doing digital because at the end of the day you still i don't have a dark room so for me yeah. the final process of any any sort of film developing is to then take a photo of it and put it into a computer which kind of takes the the whole point of doing it out away. And I have found a dark room in Oxford, so I might I might go and try a, a bit more and see if I can get something printed. But yeah, it's it, it's it's something that I do do. Apart from that, we had a long conversation previously in the podcast that we've already mentioned about programming. I mean, I was taught programming at university before they threw me out of the computer science course, and I learned C. Uh, and I also learned Prolog, which is of no use to man or beast. But my tutor was the guy who invented it, so I wasn't allowed to say that at the time. You would have been made redundant from that course. Yeah, that's it. I would have. Uh, I would have been made redundant from that course, and they wouldn't have wanted to keep taking my money. So I learned that uh, years ago, and then you know, as a Unix sysadmin, I sort of I can I can do shell for simple stuff, um, and I can do Perl for slightly more complicated stuff. But I actually would like to be a little more proficient in my programming skills because i do think that's one i do think is actually holding me back from realizing some of the ideas that i have my wife keeps telling me that i shouldn't waste time on it and you know given the cost of me per hour now i should outsource it to somebody somewhere else (laughs) probably in eastern europe or india um for you know Bang per per you know price val- value per pound um, of, of time, but I think personally I'd rather learn it and implement it myself than have to QA somebody else's stuff so yes I, I did buy that that Python course that you s-
0: suggested. I think it was code Academy the hundred days of Python boot camp
1: yeah Sarah's sending me a bunch of Python stuff. Specifically, with regard to forensics, so I am going to try quite hard to improve my uh, my, my Python to the level of uh, competent um, and, and actually use use it in anger for things, as opposed to you know, hello world repeating hundreds of times on the screen or something.
0: Yeah, and for the listeners, like I think that's why I like that that course. Like it, I always find when I try and learn a new programming language, it's very hard to go from here is some simple for and if and while loops and some basic syntax that how do you print hello world to screen to the advanced projects that you actually want to do. And I found that that bootcamp, which I still haven't finished, but it does beginner intermediate hard and then advanced and it builds on all the concepts as you go through. And it teaches you that middle ground, which I find a lot of programming courses miss. They, um, Don't give you the skills. Programming language is literally a language where you need to know the vocabulary, and the vocabulary is just all of the libraries. And if you don't know the libraries, then you can't code effectively because you don't know they exist, and you can't make coherent sentences or coherent code. So yeah, the the Python one does a, a really good job of that in introducing you to quite a a broad range of different libraries
1: so yeah so i'm 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 excited about that that's that's something i'm going to spend a bit of time doing i mean apart from that you know i used to have some spare time and then i took on doing a podcast so that was a (laughs) terrible idea yeah then you have to you have to put up with a a sleepy australian all the time It's, it's going to be one of us. one of us is up at the point in time where it's like, "Give me more coffee, please, God! Give me more coffee." You know, working with forensic focus. I, you know, again, you and I have had this conversation before, but I've known Jamie for many, many years. I've been a member of the forum for, for donkeys.
0: Jamie doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm convinced that Jamie is just is Jamie is just sigh. Yeah, it's just me typing in the in 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 a different window. We've tried to get Jamie on the forensic focus podcast before. I've never seen a picture of him and the only com- communication that we've had, Oh, actually I think we might've had a, a call a couple of times that he's been on, but generally it's just typing through discord and it's like the forensic focus icon and it, his name on discord is forensic focus. So it's just like, what's What was the guy from, um, Charlie's angels? Yeah. Oh, there's just,
1: just uh, hear him over the phone. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, Jamie is actually a, a chap GPT implementation. I don't know how to tell you this. Um <laughs> I think I think he'd be quite happy to be thought of as that. It's pretty believable. You are not having seen him, I can kind or not having met him in person, I can kind of understand. You know, given that you are a continent away. Um but Zoe, who's in London, who's like yeah, and his hemisphere. Zoe who's in London has never met him. It um, was like, okay, this is this is a bit much. Whereas I've had dinner with him multiple times, so it's a bit weird, uh, but I haven't seen him for a few years though, to be fair. so um he may have may have replaced himself with an AI by now and uh, and just assimilated jamie yeah
0: when when Sire said he's had dinner with him, it's just Sai sitting at a table with a mirror across <laughs> the the and it's that split it's that split personality that just like talks to each other. You can imagine the camera just panning between
1: the two. yeah, yeah, that's the one. One with a slightly Scottish accent. Actually, he does. He, although he lives in Scotland, he doesn't have a particular Scottish accent. But I'm tempted to suggest that, seeing as you don't mind haggis, that uh, you know we should, if you when when you're back in the UK, that we should go up to Scotland and see him, uh, go and knock on his door, if nothing else. Yeah, that'd
0: be cool. So we've kind of like segued into the next question almost when you were talking about your passion projects, and it's what goals do you have for the six next six to twelve months? Now, is there any other goals that you have? Career-wise, kind of life-wise, anything else you're aiming for?
1: Yeah, so I, I'm going to say partially because of the inspiration I found within the hardly adequate Discord server. Um, I actually went back to the gym for the first time in a very long time today. So, so yes, yeah, so I was in I was in the gym today. I, I've I've spoken to the guy who a owns the gym and b done a lot of PT with him in the past. So we've we've agreed that seeing as every time I have a PT session with him I actually turn up um, as opposed to the uh, times when I don't have a PT session and I just decide to stay in bed
0: yeah PT pts are super valuable it's just like you could do it all yourself but it's just that accountability
1: I'm seeing him once a week now going forward and I've, I've paid paid in advance for, for a good few weeks and then you know I'll, I'll, around that so so I'm looking to get back to a a level of fitness that I have previously had, if not the highest level of fitness that I previously had, because that that was a fair few years ago and I was training a lot harder then. And I don't I don't want to um, I don't want to put that much effort in again. It was hard work and it hurt. But you know I I, I was doing strongman competitions at the time, um, and I would like to be able to going back to a decent sort of deadlift and and log and atlas stones and things because it's fun. It's it's um, it's good functional training. I, I was gonna say I I've spoken to you. I I've, I've not been hundred percent well for, for a little while with some um blood chemistry imbalances which have meant that I've not felt like going to the gym or felt particularly well. Um and now that chemical imbalance is being sorted out and, and you know I'm feeling much, much better. Um I'm I wanna go back and get into sort of get back into a physical fitness level that is 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 working again properly. So that'll be good. I have a lot of, I'm going to say with, with the university, we've got a lot to do to get through the uh, the course material creation and things like that, so that's uh, there's a lot on in the next 6 to 12 months already so yeah, I think I think that's probably it, I mean I did I've had a holiday for the next 5 years so I went to Iceland for a bit, partially because of that, I can't afford to do it anymore uh, Iceland being the world's most expensive place, and my, my daughter, my eldest daughter is getting married next year, which again is going to take up a reasonably large amount of my time and also, quite reasonably a large amount of my money, I suspect. So that's really cool. And I'm really excited about it, and that's that's fantastic. Um, and that's a big project in and of itself to be part of. So yeah, I think I think that, I think that covers it. And obviously, photography, on a, at least on a weekly basis, if not necessarily on a daily basis, will be will be part of it all. So uh, yeah, nice.
0: Lots of lots of things to look forward to. Then lots of goals by the sound of it.
1: Definitely. Yeah, I'm going to say, you know, there's a few academic papers that we're working on at the moment. I'm looking forward to actually publishing some papers, which will be exciting. You know, I've read enough of other people's for them have to put up with my writing for a change will be it will
0: be a nice, a nice novel twist. So I'm interested to know what you wanted to be when you were a kid. So growing up, like, was there a goal that you
1: had? Yeah, I wanted to be a forensic analyst for a very, very long time um, since I was
0: like a young, like preteen
1: kid. I'm going to say, as soon as I read The Cuckoo's Egg, and actually I can tell you because I read it when it came out. Uh, 1989 is the first edition, so <laughs> to figure out how old I am. 1989. I was 12. I was born. Oh, I was 11. Yeah, 11. So I was born in 1978. So 1989, I would have been 11. So yeah, since I was 11, I wanted to be a forensic analyst. That's really cool. It's been a, it's been a reasonably torturous route to get to it, but I mean before before that, I knew that I wanted to do something with computers. I just didn't know what. And and to be fair, I don't think the world really knew what actually. You know, computers were still a bit rare. I mean, we had one at home, but it was a BBC Micro. You know, it was a it is hardly the, uh, although you know I've 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 actually seen a BBC Micro used in a industri- industrial setting for 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 an EPROM programmer. But yeah, you know they they were still relatively new world, and therefore you know the the idea of a job was either you were a programmer or you were nothing. I mean, I did program then. I mean, I remember sitting and typing in the BASIC programs from the magazines the same as everybody else and writing my own little things and, and stuff like that but at the same time I don't think I wanted to be a programmer I don't think it was there but I did love the technology and I did love the idea that these things existed and could be made to do things so yeah I think I think you know for a very very long time that was what, what I wanted to do I don't think I had any aspirations to be a, a you know a, a spaceman or a fireman or definitely not a policeman seems like you know I, I think i've i've more or less continuously wanted to do this and i'm now doing it so it's uh yeah nice quite an nice. achievement i'm quite pleased with this
0: <laughs> yeah so other than photography and hanging out with the kids and family and everything else is there anything else you
1: have you can get away from work and unwind going to the gym used to used to very much be that and i'm hoping it will become that again um i and to an australian this will probably sound quite daft because driving off-road is is probably a little more straightforward for you guys as a concept than it is here because we're banned from doing it in so many places now but i do enjoy off-roading i used to have a working four-wheel drive but because it was a Land Rover it no longer works and so you know I go I nick my brother-in-law's working Range Rover because he has more time to work on it than I do you know we we go out and go around off-road courses and go to that four by four shows and stuff like that because it's a it's something that I do enjoy doing so that's that's one thing I cook to a greater or lesser degree of success I mean everybody eats it so I'm, I'm guessing greater or at least they're realize that they're getting nothing else for dinner so that works <laughs> but I enjoy doing it I do enjoy it very much um, and at the same respect I enjoy eating I like going out and I like going to restaurants one that might surprise you is I bought tickets to the opera the other day my wife and I are going up to London to see Cavigliano Rusticana and Pagliacci at the Royal Opera House later this year that's
0: great I, I enjoy theatre and like Like, opera and art. I went and saw two shows at West End Wales there. I saw Book of Mormon, which I'd seen previously, and it was fantastic uh, to see it again. And I I will still probably go see it again if I get a chance. Okay. And then I also went and saw Hamilton, Ah, right. Okay. very interesting to watch. Like, I I really enjoyed it. And then I was chatting with a friend who had seen it in London but with a very US-heavy audience, apparently, Right. And the reaction to King George was was way different cuz if no one's seen Hamilton, like definitely go see it. King George in the version that I saw played played it very sarcastically and just oblivious to the fact that people wanted freedom and he was just like I just I want to control you kind of thing. So I thoroughly enjoyed going to see theater in London. I think because like when you think about the biggest places in the world, you think like London and and Broadway, New York. And theatre is good in in Australia. It's just very expensive because there's not as much of it. And it's harder, like both of those shows that I went and saw were like a Thursday and a Friday. And there were shows on like all, all week for like Book of Mormon was playing like every single night for like weeks on end. Whereas in Australia, it's very like, it's a Friday, Saturday
1: night. Kind of thing, so, yeah, like i I love the arts, it's awesome, so yeah, looking forward to that, and and we do we definitely try and go at least once a year to see something up there, you know depending upon what's showing, yeah, so so yeah, like that really, I mean you know we've got whatever films might come out before the end of the year, cinema is always a good thing. I was literally in the th- I was in the cinema the other day, and I can't even I saw Oppenheimer in London, actually, I saw it in the Leicester square where it where it premiered. Was incredible. That was that was amazing. Not at the premiere. I wasn't invited to that, sadly. But but the same. In fact, it was the same film. It was the same physical film that was shown in my viewing as was shown at the premiere. No, uh, what? Oh, it was the death in uh, haunting in Venice. The new Poirot. Okay. I went to the cinema for the other day. That was uh, yeah. that was interesting. I think I think I'll leave it at interesting. I'm not sure okay. how quite how I feel about it. It was it was it, good few jump scares and stuff. It's. I don't feel that it necessarily captured the either the spirit of Poirot or the spirit of Agatha Christie, but, you know, that's a, a personal opinion. As a film, it was perfectly acceptable. There's no no complaints there. But, yeah, we'll see what else comes out before the end of the year.
0: Hanging out for another Fast and Furious movie to come out? Oh, uh, we've seen, I'm going to say, we just, we've seen the recent one. I have a guilty pleasure for Fast and Furious movies, which is ridiculous because, like, I, I really like good cinema. But it's just that, that trashy, unbelievable, like the fact that they went to space in one of the movies is in a car as well. Is just like
1: insane. You've got to, you've got, if you're doing it, you have to do the drinking game with it, which is you have to take a shot every time they say family. Family. And if you are <laughs> still upright by the end of the movie, you have a better liver than I do. So, um, Ugh, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: all right, mate. Final question. That we're moving into what recommendations do you have currently for people that are outside the industry and considering a change so they're not like in cyber or in security and they're thinking about changing
1: first of all it's totally doable that's the it's not a recommendation but it's just a simple statement this isn't this isn't rocket surgery okay the the joy (laughs) i'm going to caveat this one carefully but the joy of computers is fundamentally that they are logical things Therefore, if you are capable of understanding basic logic, you should be able to be capable of understanding a computer. The other thing I'll tell you is, is that the fact that computers are deterministic isn't a total lie because they are deterministic, but there are so many bleeding variables that are actually at play now that unless you know what they all are, determining the deterministic is quite a challenge. But moving aside from that, the best and most valuable piece of advice I can give you is use a computer, Okay, You are not going to get into the industry by reading books or doing online courses even. What you need to do is you need to get a reasonable machine, install Linux on it, get some virtual machines uh, installed on it and play with them, break them, reinstall Linux, try and make them talk to each other, try and stop them from talking to each other see what happens when you delete the root partition in the virtual machine. See what happens when you delete the root partition in the real machine. You'd be surprised how long a computer will actually keep running for once you type um, rm minus rf star in the root directory. It will actually keep going for quite a long time. There's a lot to be learned from that, which is about how stuff is loaded into memory and, and how what parts of an operating system are actually held in memory and then called, and it won't start falling over until it starts running out of libraries that it suddenly decides it wants and can't call anymore. And it's all sorts of stuff like that. Learn about, try and figure out how to make your laptop, a Linux laptop, suspend when you close the lid properly. You know, that in and of itself is an art form that I'm still am not entirely sure I've figured out. But what happens, where does it write that file? What? Where does that data go? Because the things like this these swap files these hibernation files are a from a forensic perspective hugely valuable but also the way that the, what they contain is 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 fascinating go out and if you are doing online courses read and you learn about a tool download it you know play with it see see whether you can make it work and try and do in and again you know this is a i am linux centric I was a unix systems administrator i believe that you will get more out of trying to do this in Linux than you will out of trying to do it in Windows Um, because there's because it's harder (laughs) apart from anything else but you get you get closer to it by doing it in Linux than you do in Windows in Windows you'll tick a box in Linux you'll have to follow a set of instructions that tell you which file you need to edit to add what into a line and then purely by accident you'll read all of the other stuff in the file and you'll wonder what something does and then you'll look it up and it'll it'll build and you'll you'll pick up way more skills that way um, by getting your hands dirty doing that and then you know pick a project to do you know it could be anything from you know setting up a web server in your virtual machine and you know seeing writing a web page or something and writing a bit of php so you've got an active thing or find a local charity that needs a hand and offer to do that for them or you know sports club or whatever you know something something that that means that you can set up a cloud server and you know set up a web page and sort out email and learn about you know email protections uh, and all of the sender protective framework and all of this kind of stuff dns is is a hugely fascinating and and also a massive security risk if it's badly configured so learn about it buy a domain domains are dirt cheap in fact you can get them for free if you look in the right places.
0: Oh, I actually don't think you can anymore. Can you not? No, I. Because I was trying to do a CTF recently and they've like really cracked down on free. Uh, it's probably a. Probably preventing. Trying to prevent fraud, isn't it? You can get. Like, as long as you don't care about the kind of extension, you can pick one up for like two cents.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're, but yeah, they're, they're not expensive, so you know, buy a domain, get it to point at something and then have subdomains and see what, what happens. You know, it's, there's so much that you can learn. For people that want to do that, I've got YouTube
0: videos on my highly adequate YouTube. Oh, excellent. There you go. See? So you can follow follow my guide to set up your own CTF and point a domain to it.
1: And, you know, learn to do a CTF. I mean, it, all of this stuff, it, it, it's it's getting hands-on. You won't gain the experience that you need without getting hands-on. Not for Not for security, not for for forensics not for incident response and go into it with a mindset of seeing how you can break it as well rebuilding a computer doesn't take all that long uh, trust me i've it's, done it hundreds it's of much times. faster these days i reckon yeah it is it definitely is especially with virtual machines because you can snapshot it destroy it and then just restore the snapshot and stuff like
0: that even reinstalling a full virtual machine is pretty quick like i did it last night it took me like 10
1: minutes so you know do do it break it see see how it breaks see why it breaks because this is what other if you're going into security this is what other people are going to try and do to you and if you're going into forensics or incident response it's what other people have already done to you and you know it's 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 the only way to learn it really is i can't can't recommend it highly enough that you know get your hands dirty
0: yeah i think it's it's common common recommendations from a lot of people that come on the podcast is that you need to be practical like theory only gets you so far and you need to not be afraid. I liked one of the quotes from one of my ex-colleagues, which was, fail quickly. And what he meant by that was, you come up with a hypothesis, you test it. If it fails, you then come up with another one, test it. But it's that practicality of making lots of mistakes until you figure out the answer.
1: Yeah, proper iterative process for, for getting there, yeah. I, I'm going to say it's, it's the famous quote from uh, Thomas Edison, isn't it? it's, its that you know He spent his lifetime trying to create a light bulb. And every time it went wrong, it was like, you know, are you not you know, worried by now? It's like, no, I've learned another way not to make a light bulb.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, and it's yeah. true. You know, it's the, same, it's the same principle, isn't it? Well, mate, we're
0: at the end. Thanks so much for staying up, having a rum and joining me on the podcast. It's I like I always learn something new about my guests and even guests that I spend quite a lot of time with um, podcasting. Like I still learn something new about yourself. So I, I really appreciate it.
1: No, pleasure 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 and well you know i'll see you in november
0: yeah it'll be good another catch up well for all our listeners nearly all the content that you can find on highly adequate is free but if you want to support make sure you subscribe to the podcast like and subscribe to my youtube channel and you can also check out my merch from my website highlyadequate.com where i have still got a challenge coin that's live and you can get all the links for all my other content from the website as well thanks everyone for listening and i'll catch you all next time